Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Swedes 2, a Turnips 1, the football podcast where veteran journalists from the sun reveal their secrets about the game we know and love. Today, we're talking about one of the most iconic figures in football, a man who truly changed the game forever, Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm Sean Cook and I'll be standing in for Reshman Chowdhury today. And alongside me, we have the sun's head of sports, Sean Custis, and football writers, Martin Blackburn and Neil Custis. Gents, are we all good? Happy days. Uh, So, as always, we're going to start with a quick fire question. Uh, So, what are some of the first things that come to mind when you think of the great Sir Alex Ferguson? For me, I covered him from 1999 to his retirement, and um, I would say trepidation, (laughs) fascination, (laughs) excitement, and and back-page stories. He didn't just bring great football to the Premier League and English football. He brought great colour to coverage of football with his sayings that still stand out now, uh, many of which we could repeat, some of which we can't. <laughs> um, but he he brought great colour to football and um, and he's a, a severe miss. Absolutely. Sean, similar feelings? Um, brilliant football manager, uh, Somebody who had a love-hate relationship with the press. I don't know whether there's too much love. Well, some of the love was for the very older mm. journalists who he sort of grew up grew up with as a manager, uh, people who he took into his confidence in the early days. I think it was always harder for reporters after them to break into that inner circle and consequently he tended not to trust any of the... I mean, I'd even call us the new breed. Right. Um, he was a sceptic about us. Banned papers, banned BBC, mm. uh, but you know the fans—they're not bothered about that. They're not just bothered about the fact he had winning football teams and football teams, players who were in awe of them, players who would run through brick walls for him, players who would do everything that he wanted, and you really can't fault the job he did. It was absolutely amazing. He if is I can add to that, that, that point that Sean makes there about about the longevity of reporters. I remember when I started. A lot of the old guard who'd covered Man United at the end of the treble season were just basically wasted by the whole experience of Fergie and that treble season. And and two or three of them retired and two or three of us came in. And I remember him on the first press conference post the treble at the start of the new season. And he just said too many new faces. And he could tell straight Mm. away this was going to be a challenge because he... He didn't know us. He didn't know. He knew our names, but he didn't know us properly. He didn't know our characters, who we were, and uh, it took a long, long time for us to get to a position where he felt we were on. Well, not on sides, the wrong word, but that he knew us. Mm. And Martin, similar? yeah, yeah, very much so, Sean. He, he, you know, he, he did take a while to get used to people. I remember I, I sort of deputised for 
for Neil, either because he was on holiday or, <laughs> or banned or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> and, uh, Only the latter. Uh, it, it, you know, he sort of eye you up a little bit suspiciously. You had to go and introduce yourself, and then we started the Sun on Sunday. So I went as a sort of Sunday man, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't quite sure about all that. But uh, I'd say, you know, what a lead, what incredible leader he was. Really, that's that's something that um, that sort of sticks sticks in my mind. And and you know, seven years on United still. Picking up the pieces really because he he had he had a sort of he had his fingerprints on on the whole club and um, unique and irreplaceable really. While I remember it, I remember a great one about talking about new journalists coming in. Of course, with commercial radio, there's so many new stations came along. One of which was Radio X and Radio X, which I think started in Manchester um, and it became quite big, sent a reporter along. Now this guy clearly didn't understand that Fergie quite like reporters being smart. I mean, I, I, I think I always wore a tie with Sir Alex Ferguson because he was of an age where even if he's in a tracksuit, he appreciates that. Mm. Anyway, so the first day the guy from Radio X arrives, so he's, he's, his jeans are halfway down his bottom. <laughs> his, his underpants are showing. Uh, there's, there's cuts in his jeans that looks like he's been dragged through a fence. His hair's halfway down through his face. And I swear, if a UFO had landed um, at Carrington, Fergie would not have looked more shocked <laughs> than this guy putting his microphone down. Mm. He just looked at him as if to say, how on earth has this bloke got into this room? Mm. So he always, he, I always remember when, when I finished covering Man United, oh, when, sorry, when he finished as manager of Man United, the one, the one message I got back was, he was always smart and he always took his job seriously. And the always smart bit, it was something clearly that he took, um, you know, mm. he, he recognised. Because I think you, you're somebody of that status and somebody of that level. I think you have to respect that. And mm. I think, absolutely, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. being smart, wearing a tie and in his presence, even though he might call you all the names under the sun, is right. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so let, let's start, you know, start talking about some of the positives uh, with Fergie first. Neil, we'll come back to you. What do you think Ferguson did right as Man United manager? What what did he offer that was was so spot on at the time? What he did that was that was clever to to, mm. to go on for twenty seven years or whatever it was was to be able to move with the times. You've got a situation where players are becoming uh, richer than the manager, more high profile, mm. and he was able to move with that time and move with the time in football as well, changing things with the football. He'd, he'd often change his number two to get a new voice in there. Um, but he was able to move with the times, which I think was brilliant um, because you've seen since he left that managers have struggled with uh, Manchester United because nobody realises how huge this football club is. And I'm talking beyond Real Madrid, beyond Barcelona. It's, it's enormous. And, and I think managers since then have struggled with that. But he was able to keep a hold on it and and move with it, not only in terms of tactics, but in terms of how he dealt, more so how he dealt in terms of man management with players. And he always came out with a great saying, which unfortunately players who have since come to Manchester United haven't taken any notice of, which was, Man United, the, the money will always find you. Don't go looking for the money. The money will always find you, which is basically saying, if you're a success here, you'll be fine. Paul Scholes has been a classic example. Never argued over a contract, he just went in and said, where do I sign? Because he knew he was going to be rewarded for what he was doing. And it was his ability to move with the times and, and be ahead of the times. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm. Sean, sure, there's a particular moment you think that he got he got particularly right as manager? Well, I mean, 
we had Rio Ferdinand as a columnist on the paper from virtually from the moment I started, which was in 2002. And I'd heard, I mean, I'd experienced uh, Fergie close up, if you like, for quite a few years, but never this close because I went behind the scenes, really, the day Ferdinand signed for Manchester United. It was clear that Fergie had done a lot of homework. And one of his big things, Neil's just referred to about man management and sort of attention to detail, was that he knew the family. He knew Rio's mum. Right. He knew his sisters and brothers. He knew their names. He knew what they did. Mm. He um, walked along. The, the, when Rio turned up, the first thing he did was go to his mum right. and his dad. And it's like that attention to detail. In, immediately, this is a £30 million defender. It's a world record signing. It's big razzmatazz, obviously, to sign him. But for Rio to turn around, who's devoted to his mum yeah. and, yeah. and his uh siblings to see him giving them that attention he wasn't talking to Rio no. he was he was walking behind talking to mum and that and instantly I remember Rio saying to me this is like a family club yeah. despite the size of it this is like a family club and if you do well at it you become part of a, a very big family but something that at other times can feel quite small like a community club to the players if they become a big, I can give you another. I can give you another great example of that. It, in many ways, a better example because it's not a famous person. Um, was my wife, who who was head of communications at the Christie Hospital, and Sir Alex was coming for a visit, and he knew that my wife Alethea was organising the visit, and he found out about her. He found out that she was half Spanish. He found out various other things. So as soon as he met her, he said, "Whereabouts are your family in Spain from?" and all this. So he'd, he'd gone to that detail to find Fantastic. out about my own wife's background, sort of thing. And I remember the next—I can't—I can't say it word for word, but I remember the next press conference. It finished. I was leaving the room, and he said, "I right, go on, get lost, Custis." He says, "Go and get a proper job like your wife." <laughs> and um, but it was just amazing the fact that and, and, and she she came back that night and she said, "I know you have problems with uh, with Sir Alex, but." She said he could not have been better at the yeah. hospital. Mm. He said she, he just came up to me, talked to me, and said, "I have got as long as you want, and I will do as much as you want." And she said he was just incredible. And I can name you other managers who just one particular who just didn't even turn up uh, when he was booked to do the same thing, but he made sure he did, and he and he, and he was um, and he was a. Fantastic. We've alluded to it already. Um, you know, he, he was notorious for, for banning journalists mm, and mm. Um, particularly from press conferences. Martin, I'm, I'm yes. sure you've experienced this yourself. A very yes, well, a, quite quite often, uh, mm. Sean. To be to be fair, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I think he, I think it was our paper who, who suffered more than more than most. Really, it wasn't mm. the crimes weren't necessarily that bad. It was just maybe a, a word in a headline mm. or um, some quotes which have been uh, sort be of that specific, would he? Yeah, yeah, it would, would. be. But you know, you, you get told that it, the manager wasn't very happy. All he wanted, really, a lot of the time was was a sort of uh, acknowledgement from us or a, an apology, a written apology. It didn't have to go in the paper. Maybe just an acknowledgement that he was right and you were wrong and yeah. actually you shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have uh, done that so uh, um, but it became a bit of a, a long running thing didn't it that, well I mean uh, and, and often the he'd often forgot why he banned people <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Right. I mean he banned me for once I mean I was banned I think I had the record I was banned seven times mm. and I was the guy who made the speech when he left you know management and yeah. on the speech on Which behalf excellent, of the, by the way very yeah. good <laughs> on behalf of the press and, but I remember the, the longest ban I had um I actually, I, they, were, they were doing, they were rebuilding Carrington and all that, and I got stuck in the roadworks and everything up to the ground. 
So I arrived a little bit late on the day I was allowed back in, a year and a half on. And he shouts, Costas, I've just let you back in. And he says, and you're late. And I said, well, I said, it's been so long I've been to the cliff, which was the old training right. ground, which nobody had been to for about mm. 20 years, making the point that it's just been too long. And he burst out laughing. And he was like, you know, oftentimes when I was banned and I would see him, he was like fine with me. And he literally had forgotten yeah. why he banned me. Yeah. Could you give yeah. us an insight into how the bands work, the formalities of finding well, out? Well, they were, it was very, it was very difficult. I mean, you know, for all we're praising him and everything like this, the bands were, they were wrong and they put an awful lot of stress on the journalists because Man United fills national newspapers mm. and the office and your boss is is demanding stories on Manchester United. But some of the, those stories upset a manager who then bans you. You're then banned and then the office are saying, why are you banned? And I said, well, because I'm doing what you've asked me to do, these stories, but that has in resulted in me being back. Mm. So it was a delicate tightrope, and it was extremely, extremely stressful. Mm, yeah. And I, so I, I would get, I would often get told off for not having enough stories, and when I did have enough stories, I'd be told off for being banned for writing them. Mm. So, it, and it was extremely, and I, I, I tell you, the whole time was extremely stressful. Yeah, and bet, nobody, well, nobody... I don't think in the industry gets how stressful covering Man United is. Well, I mean, if him. you think if you think he didn't do any after-match press conferences no, right, for yeah. newspapers for years and years, he banned the BBC for seven years. They could not. Mm. They, they, no, people tend to forget that. Seven years, I think it was. I don't. I can't remember how long. How long was the press ban? The after-match? Well, all the way to <laughs> the finish. Years, well, yeah, it, yeah. well yeah. I mean, so, it started in about two thousand and three. So why did he so, stop doing after-match? Press conferences, which are the staple diet yeah, for, your, for, sure. for yeah, follow-up yeah, for pieces, sure. for your quotes, for after the match and everything. He just point blank, no. Now be, that to me is ridiculous. And there's a Premier League rule that the managers had to do this, yeah. otherwise they would be fined. Mm. And you would go to Richard Scudamore, who's then the head of Premier League, and you'd say, "Have you find Alex Ferguson this week? He hasn't done it." Oh, we're, we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. every year. Are you dealing? Are, are you going to get this sorted out? We're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. And yet, never did the Premier League put their foot down over that. I, I understand, you know, he was a very big figure. Once Sir Alex left, nobody ever did that again in the Premier League. Um, and it has become things you just For have sure. to do. But mm. Ferguson took that on way too long, in my opinion. And, mm. and yet, when he won the league each season, he would always turn up for the after-match press conference <laughs> on the day he won the league. Yeah, yeah, How are yeah. you, lads? How you convenient, know, how's, yeah. How's things? Let's do a big interview about me winning the league. Mm. Rest of the season... Never saw him. We're in the company of obviously two people that are involved in one of the more famous cases of mistaken identity <laughs> when it comes to these bands. Can you either well, of you shed some light? I'll let Neil do it. Neil was there. <laughs> it didn't bother him at all because he he was in London. But um, and I I sort of I I remember driving to the training ground thinking this could happen. This could happen, and I'm just going to let him blow off. So Sean was working for the Express then and doing a story about. Man United been in for this Italian player. I don't know who it was. He never came no. to. He, he never <laughs> like most transfer stories, he never signed anyway. Um, and although it was probably closer to the truth than we thought, because that's because he got angry. So I walk in the room. Well, he's already chucked Matt Lawton from the Daily Mail out over him saying that he was going to become chairman of Dundee or something like that, Aberdeen. <laughs> so and then he's seen me and he's started effing and blinding and all that and I thought he's done it yes he's got it wrong he's got it wrong and Sean's written this story not me and he always used to call me Sean um, right. and get me mixed up he, he started calling me Neil for about the last two years that I covered him but 
it always get me mixed up because Sean had previously done the patch as well for the Sunday people. So um, anyway, he was going on and on and on and on and on. And I finally went, Alex, I'm Neil. He's Sean. Sean works for the Express. I work for the Sun. He did the story. I didn't. At which point Richard Tanner goes, I work for the Express. Do you want me to go? He says, yeah, you get out. So he's <laughs> gone as well. Um, and anyway, I've sat down. And to be fair to him, he couldn't stop apologising through the rest of the press conference. Diana Lord, um, the, the then press officer, was trying to explain to him, you got the wrong bloke, you got the wrong bloke. Um, and then he kept, he just kept apologising and apologising. And it was, it was, you know, it, it was funny at the time. There'd been other ones. Mm. You see, in those days, uh, nowadays mm. with the press conferences, you have a bank of cameras, you have radio, you have everyone there, everyone sees everything. Um, in those days, there was just a group of, I don't know, nine of us in a small room at Carrington just talking to him. So he could he could go berserk. Mm. And generally, we would just let him go berserk. Yeah. And sometimes we would go, I would go berserk back. Um, there was one classic example where we had a shouting match, and um, and when he sent um, tape recorders flying around the room, bouncing off walls and what have you, but it was it was good because you were able to be in a situation where he could blow off, we could blow off, and then everything was forgotten and on you go, sort yeah. of thing. Neil has, of course, missed the punchline, which was amid all the confusion between. Which custards it was? Fergie went anyway. Too many effing custards <laughs> in the world. Well, yeah. And if yeah. you uh, you can now Google that, and it comes up many times. Yeah. Too many effing yeah. custards. Yeah. It, it, oh, it's all right. over the yeah. internet. Yeah. Neil brought up there, uh, Diana Law, uh, yes. Martin. Uh, yeah, yeah. You have a, a our last story in terms well, of bad well, journalists. You have a you have a fond th- memory of that. I do, uh, Sean. Yeah, I think I think it, Neil mentioned earlier. You had a was it a year and a half or a year or something like that? At which point yeah, I sort of stepped in and managed to managed to get banned myself once or twice, <laughs> but only you know for a brief one so uh, um, and I, just just to mention as well they did actually employ a, an intern at one point in the press department at United called Joe Banning uh, whether oh, wow. that was uh, whether that was deliberate <laughs> in order to uh, uh, Banning by name Banning by nature Brilliant. so uh, but yes uh, Diana Law the the uh, daughter of Dennis she she finished as um, a press officer I think it was uh, 2009 or 2010 and, and pretty much her last job was to uh, to pull me at a, a United game it was it was over Christmas and say some bad news, Martin. I'm afraid the manager's not very happy, and uh, until he get an apology, the son are going to be banned again. So, mm. uh, but it wasn't a serious one. We were we were soon back in, but um, she did she did say that that was her last uh, her last job in the. I can tell uh, you how right, absurd in the, in the some of these bands were. That, that I remember one preseason tour, and every preseason tour was a battle to get the what we call the sit down with Fergie, which was. The best interview of the year, basically, mm. when he's on tour and the group of the national journalists sit down with him for an hour and it's great stuff. But it was a, always a battle because once he got to these tour spots, he was tired for his hunger, not hungover. So what, what, what's it? What, what's it when you when you travel too far? Not hungover. Jet lagged. Jet lagged. Yeah, he was jet lagged. Yeah, I was probably hungover. But he was, um, so he was always in a mood for the first sort of week, and then we'd finally get to sit down with him. And I said to Dialogue once, I said, look, I said, what is his problem? Why is he in a mood with us this time? And she said, well, you keep writing that Juan Veron's going to leave the club. He keeps telling you he's not going to leave the club. Two days later, Juan Veron leaves the club. So this is the sort of situation you're in. So so I apologise for not writing the, your lies, mm. you know. Yeah. Mm. But because you expect us to. I mean, he, he always had this idea that we should be supporters of the club. 
uh, and we should be doing everything pro club. So the one time when uh, Rooney got retrospectively banned for elbowing a Bolton player, even though it had been shown on television that he'd done it, because we'd all reported it, he thought that was being disloyal. Right. And that mm. was when I had a shouting match with him saying like, you know, Peter Schmeichel's been on television and talking about it and highlighting mm. it, you know, don't have a go at us. But he always thought that we should always be very loyal. But that that comes from the days when you didn't have cameras at every game. Yeah. You didn't have cameras highlighting everything. You didn't have the minutiae of the um, detail looking at the club. And as written journalists, you could sort of control it yourselves. Mm. You can't do that anymore. Mm. You well, can't do that. That brings me on to our next point quite nicely there. And, and mentioning Peter Schmeichel, of course. Um, Sean, you, you have a story about um, Peter Schmeichel in the, the lobby of the cliff, yeah, I believe. Yeah, well, when, when I was on the Sunday People's News referred to earlier, we used to um, give out awards for goalkeeper of the year, midfielder of the year, striker of the year. It used to be based on our famous merit marks the the Sunday people were the first ones to do marks out of 10 everybody does it now but we were the first ones to do it back then and it was the the players were quite grateful to win it they always looked at their marks famously and the prize I always remember was a thousand pounds and a trophy so in those days at the cliff you could actually walk into the cliff say to Peter Schmeichel uh, you're going to be our goalkeeper of the year you get a thousand pound and a trophy fantastic he says Uh, so Okay, I'd like to do an interview about your season. Excellent. Sit down. That, that's as simple as it wow, was amazing. in the lobby amazing. of the cliff after training. So I'm sitting there with him. Alex Ferguson comes. <laughs> oh, he must have seen us walk in. Comes storming down from the top of the. What the hell are you doing here? I'm doing an interview with Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, in fact, he's goalkeeper of the year. Who gave you permission to do that? I said Peter did. <laughs> and he goes, "What are you doing doing that?" He says, "I'm going to do this interview." And I thought, this is, this wow, is amazing. Yeah. Go yeah. So, well, I'm going to do it. Mm. And uh, Fergie stomped off, chuntering up the stairs. I had got this interview in the bag, but the extra bit to that was on the Saturday, I had permission to present the trophy to Peter Schmeichel <laughs> right. just before kickoff. Ken Ramsden, the secretary, amazing. marched me out. Five to three. I am presenting the trophy to Peter Schmeichel on the halfway line, but the photographer can't quite get the shot set up correctly. And I can see Alex Ferguson out the corner of my eye going, absolutely <laughs> pointing. And it kept going on, by which time the crowd started booing me because they wanted wow. to kick off and were still waiting for this. Believe me, by the time I finished that presentation, I, walked off. I was relieved the week was over. I don't think Fergie forgot that either. No, he sure made a mental note. You know, for all we say this about the, the problems we had with him and everything, he knew all of our names or most mm. of our mm. names. And would call us by our names in in good times and bad. So we had that relationship with them, which, I mean, I haven't, apart from David Moyes, I haven't called by my first name from, uh, well, Louis van Gogh called me Fat Man. Um, (laughs) uh, Mourinho called me my friend because he thought I was on his side, but still couldn't work out what my name was. So he called me my friend. And um, Ollie just, he keeps, he knows me because he was a player then and he, he just, he, he's still trying to work out what my name is. And right. So you're on. But Sir Alex knew everybody's name and would call them by their name, whether in good times and bad. And that is a, that is a thing that's sort of lost with football now. There's not that relationship where you actually can call each other by their first name. Few arguments in the gents' toilets nowadays, I presume. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that was. <laughs> So we're at a, I mean, that was my most embarrassing one. Although I didn't realise it was embarrassing at the time until I was suddenly like stood there thinking this is absurd. So we have a, we used to have these 
uh, journalist lunches, uh, which Barclay sponsored with the Football Writers Association, and we'd have them at the Haydock Thistle. And um, so all the managers from all the Northwest clubs would be sat around a, a, an oval table together. The journalists would be sat on other tables, and hopefully we'd get interviews with them afterwards, which we did with most. But on this occasion, Fergie wasn't going to do it. And we got texts. All of us got texts on our phones in the middle of the dinner, so it was obviously timed to have like the ultimate effect to say, Fergie's fed up with you, he's not going to do an interview today, and he's not going to do a press conference on Friday, and blah, 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 blah. And we're all going, do, 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 do. I thought, oh, for goodness sake. And he sat there while, while we're all seeing these messages. So I always used to be the one who would stand up for the rest of the press pack. So he's got up to leave, and I've just followed him, and I've said, what are you talking about? And, so, and it was all about, he'd, he'd, he'd had a go at some radio radio journalist, but it had gone out live on air, and we'd reported it. So I'd argued with him, argued with him, and while I was arguing with him, I'd, I didn't realise that we'd actually, I'd followed him actually into the gents' <laughs> toilets. And he's actually having a wee at the urinal while I'm still arguing with him. And I suddenly just stopped and stood there, and I just thought, this is the most famous manager in the world. He's just won the treble. I'm standing here arguing with him, and he's having a wee in a urinal. And I, said, just, and I just stopped, and I just walked out. I just thought, this is absurd. <laughs> I mean, this is just a stupid situation. Yeah, so I, I just walked out and just sort of left it at that. Mm. I just thought it was just, I couldn't go on while he was doing what he was doing. Mm. And Martin, uh, in, in terms of clashing with a great man, uh, I believe you have a story about tape recorders, and, and yeah. Neil, you'll know a bit about this as well. Neil alluded to it earlier, yeah. Sean, but uh, he, he, at the start of a press conference, he would... Um, he would say a few things that were on his mind before anybody asked any questions, and that mm. that would often include a bit of a telling off. It was very much a sort of um, uh, it was a, a sort of a head teacher and pupil yeah, sort sure. of situation, and and everyone would sort of have to sit there and basically, you know, he'd say the coverage of such and such, you know, was was disappointing, and I didn't like this in in your paper, and uh, so everyone just had to sit there and take the medicine. But uh, mm. I can't quite remember the background to it. Now you might be able to help, but the one where he, he sort of whipped or everybody in in his rage, he sort of whipped everybody's tapes off the table. Two or three of them went into the wall, wow. and uh, the uh, people were looking for new dictaphones after that. Was that, the, bet, yeah. Yeah, that, that was the that was the the, the Rooney one when was it Rooney, Rooney had been caught by a camera, but not on the live feed of um, of a Melbowing and Bolton player, which mm. got him a three match ban. Oh, was it that one? Um, and yeah, they, no, they did. I mean, the tape recorders they seriously flew. They hit walls <laughs> and, came, and 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 even after that. Um, after that had happened, and then, then the row burst out, and then me and him had a shouting match. You know, Dialogue then had to come back into the room after he'd gone to say that if we reported it, then there wouldn't be any more press conferences. So we were left in a very difficult situation where the bloke has completely and utterly flipped his lid. And it was starting to get into a day where there was a lot of people who knew people who were coming in who were ready to report that. And then, whereas the old guard, dare I say it, because I was in exactly the same position, were ready to defect. Would you ready to just say, let's just leave it, you know, for the for the future? Mm. Let's just leave it alone. Mm. And um, I think we did. I think we did leave it alone. I, th- I think mm. probably Fergie was the most notorious for, for on, on Fridays, particularly. You, you will see this with some managers, but Alex Ferguson particularly, he would go off on one. In the press conference sometimes, he might have gone off one before, but with the tapes on, go off on one in a press conference, really have a rant about something in particular. You'd go away thinking, fantastic stuff, that was amazing what Fergie had to say. You'd ring your desks, you'd talk to them, say, back page lead easy, two pages inside. And you get called two hours later going, the manager doesn't want you to use those quotes. (laughs) And you're like, you what? Oh, that bit was off the record. Which bit? 
uh, that bit where he said so and so was an absolute buffoon, <laughs> and you're like, oh no, we've got, to do... and you have to ring up your desk, desk and yeah, go. Yeah. You know that thing I said was a bit crazy, but, you have, do, but yeah, then you, you have to retract. decide whether it's worth the risk, yeah, yeah for whether sure. it's worth doing it and then being banned or that. But in the end, you didn't know what you were being banned for because you know I remember <laughs> Paul Hetherington and Mark Ogden both got banned for correctly reporting that Rio Ferdinand was injured mm. before the first away game of the season against Everton. Now, how do you get banned for correctly reporting that? Mm. He's claiming that, secrets away, that, you're, you're, that you're helping the opposition. Well, we're not here to help Man United. No. You know, no. so <laughs> they, got, they ended up getting banned for that and had to go and apologise. Just before we go to an ad break, uh, quite a fitting story, I think, to end us on, uh, Sean, um, considering... This is about a man that's in charge of your beloved Newcastle United. Yeah, as I referred to earlier, you could walk into the training ground at the cliff yeah. back in the 90s. And I remember um, there was a lot of talk about Steve Bruce, about how long he'd go. I mean, he started Man United relatively late. He was mm. 26, yeah. uh, something like that. There was a lot of talk about him getting him leaving because he wanted to sort of cash in a, little, a bit later in his career. So he, he sees me at the cliff, and I'd known him a long time. And he goes, hey, he says, uh, I've had an offer from Japan. I said, Japan? He says, yes, it's good money, though. And I'm going, all right. I said, is that all right to write? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Do it, yeah. So that weekend, I've done uh, Bruce's big offer from Japan. It'd yeah. Be, you know, Grant to say whatever it was. Mm. And uh, following week, Alex Ferguson pulls me, sees me at the cliff. And this is a classic example of it. Oh, he's all seeing, all dancing. He goes, how do you get that story about Brucey? I went, oh, I just picked it up, you know, contact, you know, the, Liar. I know wow. exactly how you got that story. I was standing at the top of the stairs. I saw you talking to Brucey in the car park. I've told him, I'm telling you, I know exactly. So don't try that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Sometimes it can be easy to get bogged down in the rows and the bands, but Fergie had a, a slightly different side to it, didn't mm, he, Martin? He did, Sean, yeah, yeah. There was uh, it's actually one that predates me, uh, my sort of time covering United, but uh, a good friend of mine, Peter Ferguson, tells me it, that uh, one, one St Andrew's Day, they all arrived at uh, presumably the cliff to... Uh, um, to do it for the sort of weekly uh, press conference, and um, as I as I mentioned earlier, quite often when you arrived, there was uh, there was a few words about what had gone in the papers the previous day. So uh, so Fergie told them all to stand up when it, when he arrived, 
Uh, so they thought they were in for a bit of a bit of a hairdryer for the press. But then he um, he sang the first line of uh, "Flower of Scotland," uh, <laughs> at which point he said uh, they they were allowed to sit down, and he said, and then he said to them, "Thank you for uh, for standing up and uh, honouring my country on uh, on Saint Andrew's Day." Amazing. So uh, so yeah, he he could see the uh, very very much could see the the funny side and enjoy a, a lighter moment with him if uh, if if the mood was right. Could you can you chart or remember the the exact moment he coined the phrase "squeaky bum"? Well, <laughs> yeah, I um, the, the the I mean, it's it's sort of gone into the sort of football lexicon that one, hasn't it? Mm, but sure. uh, at the time, the, there was um, a bunch of us who were sort of listening to our tapes, trying to work out what he said, whether it was squeaky bum time or whether he, I think some people thought it was squeeze your bum time, which would have been <laughs> sl- sort of slightly totally different, different but, headline that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was there was everybody sort of stood outside Carrington, listening into their tapes and and desperately trying to uh, decipher what he'd said in that. Uh, in that Glaswegian Somebody actually used it in the Super Bowl the other night. Yeah? yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Go, That's how see. far it's gone it's now. It, it was used with the American football in the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Did you have to go back and check then? with people to see if he really said that or, uh, or did you all just agree that just, that must just, be yeah it? I think you just agreed I mean it might not it might not but be that still might not be. no no this is slightly off, off piece but mm. it, it relates to a former Man United coach actually Steve McLaren when we were away with with England once and he said something like the rainbow will be something or other at the end of the rainbow something so McLaren was going through a bad time at the moment but we'll get to the end of the rainbow so we thought so we dressed him up uh, we dressed him and his staff up as Bungle and Zippy and all of right, that yeah. from Rainbow, the kids' uh, TV program. And uh, the next day, he's completely bemused to see this in the papers. And the FA are onto us. Why did you <laughs> say he said, uh, the, you know, the results would be at the end of the Rainbow? Well, that's what you said. No, he said, the real bull will be, meaning the target <laughs> oh, right, yeah. at the end. We've gone back over the tapes. It's Rainbow. It's yeah, Rainbow. I don't yeah. know whether his accent or whatever, but apparently it's the real bull. I'm still thinking... Well, what big deal is the real bull? But those those images, I think that Mirror may have done it as well, of mm. putting in Zippy and, and all that. <laughs> I never never left him after that. Basically, think of that Justin Allen one with the uh, shirt. Who was the player? It was Danny Welbeck, I think. He said about when they played Uruguay and um, in the in the World Cup, and they said, you know, do you do you keep the have you kept the shirt? And he said, yeah, it's up my arsehole. That's what Justin Allen thought he'd heard and put in the wow. report. Danny Welbeck has stuffed his Uruguay shirt up his arse. <laughs> what he actually oh, said, God. it's in my household. Right. <laughs> so, the, so, and Charlie Wyatt had seen this in the queue saying, I'm sure he hasn't stuffed this up his arse. <laughs> and, and he said, and he said, look, can I listen to the tape? And I said, I think he said household. It's in my household. Mm-hmm. So they had to quickly change it. It may have been a serious problem. Mm-hmm. You, you hear stories a lot about sometimes interviews or you know favors are exchanged uh it, you know for interviews yeah. to happen uh sean i believe you you've got a story with a watch that that oh, uh, no, rings I mean, true for, i mean it, it was very rare to get one-on-one proper sit-downs with alex ferguson i course, only yeah, did yeah. one i don't know if the other lads no, have no, the opportunity to do it but, two. but there were certain ways of getting them and we i think i might have been on the express at the time there was a watch company we had a link with, which basically they would give you a watch to give to an interviewee, and right. they would have the publicity for the fact of watch. And these were like thousands of Big pounds watches. watches. Yeah, yeah. They were going through a, clearly a golden period, this watch company. <laughs> so I, r- I rang uh, 
up uh, and said, look, can we come down? They've got a watch to present for Alex Ferguson for being the best manager of the month or whatever. Wow. Wow. Uh, thinking, oh, well, they'd probably not get anywhere. You don't get one. Go, oh, he'd be delighted to come and see you. So down I went. Most welcoming he had ever been in history. Fantastic. Anything you like to know. Uh, oh, that's a lovely watch. That is smashing. Yes, take take all the time you want. Uh, just um, it, it it was just an interesting thing. Sure, that yeah. There was ways to get there. And look, I'm not saying he would ever have done that sort of all the time. But maybe I just got him in the right moment. But it was a uh, it was and it was great fun to do. I've got to say, it was to great. Be fair, to be fair, Bullover sponsored Man United, and they gave us all three watches. One of which I've got on. Amazing. And not only did they give the gents free watches, they had. They had female watchers as well. And um, as we left, we said, could we have one of those as well? Which we did. Very expensive watches, which I gave to my wife for Christmas. Couldn't believe how much money I'd spent on her. And to this day, still does not know that it's free. Until she hears this podcast, of course. We were going on about Fergie and, and, you know, bands and stuff like that. But in the early days, it wasn't always like that. I remember being on the Newcastle Evening Chronicle. And Alex Ferguson, actually, this is a bit goes back to the old guard things, had quite a high regard for local newspapers. Yes. So I was on the Newcastle Evening Chronicle. They had a, res- a reciprocal arrangement with the Manchester Evening News. And what it was, basically, that whenever Man United played a team, the local newspapers would have an arrangement where the Manchester United man could ring the manager at Newcastle right, yeah. or whatever, and we could ring the Manchester United man. So John Gibson, who was on the Chronicle with me, said to me, do you want to do an interview with Alex Ferguson? It's about 1988. It's early days, so right. he's not had much success at the moment, but at the same time, still a big fish. I went, yeah, fantastic. There's his number. Give him a ring. Right. And now, this is not as remarkable back then as it would be now. No, of course. So you, ring up, you just ring up his landline. You ring up. Hello? And it, his wife answers the phone. She said, yes, can I help you? Sean Custis with Newcastle Evening Chronicle. I'd like to speak to Alex, please. She said, oh, yes, I'll just go and get him. <laughs> and you've got this. She's, she's going, Alex, it's Sean from the Newcastle Evening Chronicle coming to your hand. I forgot. Hello, son. Yeah, David said you might be ringing. What do you want to know? Amazing. And you get a great long interview over the phone <laughs> yeah. to talk just about Newcastle Man United. I think that probably won't happen too often never, with managers now. No, but he was—he was, was always—he was always very, and I think it happened with a lot of you know mm. the old school managers. They're always very loyal to the yeah. to the local reporters, mm. and I don't just mean with the local paper necessarily, but you know just the guys who lived in Manchester who were clearly there to cover Manchester United. He was always recognised that. And I remember Stuart Matheson, when he stopped covering, he took over from David Meek on the Manchester Evening News and he'd done about 23, 24 years. And um, I was doing this speech for him um, on his last game, covering it for the paper. And then Sir Alex burst in um, and did a speech himself, you know, with a, with a shirt to present him, you know, Matheson, 24 years, uh, did a little speech. And, you know, that will not... That will not happen going forward. That will not happen at any football clubs going forward. Mm. But it did happen then, and it was just, you know, it, it was nice. Mm. And moving on to our last question, mm. uh, gents, um, it's going to be a tricky one. What is the overriding legacy of Sir Alex Ferguson? And Martin, we'll start with you. Mm. 
an amazing number of trophies, really. Um, you know, I think it was it was it twenty twenty six um, in terms of the major trophies that he that he won. I think it was the was it thirty eight in his career. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you wonder if a, a, a manager will ever do that again, uh, sure. Sean. I don't, I don't, I don't think they will. Um, nice, fair enough. And uh, yeah, just uh, uh, unprecedented success, really. Sean, in a in a sentence, can you wrap up his legacy? That he did so well that by the time he left, he left them in the card. Yeah. Because it required such a massive rebuild, it, it still to this day hasn't been same. able to be done. Mm. That's quite a legacy, really, for, for, sure. for yeah. those for sure, who follow. Yeah. They just cannot even get close to yeah, replicating yeah, it. Yeah. And Neil, in a, in a sentence? Just go to Old Trafford and look at Old Trafford. Okay, it needs a little bit of TLC now, but uh, look at a picture of Old Trafford before he got there and look at a picture of Old Trafford now, and that is a, that is a testament to him. That's all we've got time for for this episode of Swedes 2 Turnips 1. Thank you to Sean, Martin and Neil. And remember to subscribe and review the pod at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. I've been Sean Cook. That's all from us and we'll see you again very, very soon. Swedes 2 Turnips.